if I don't know you, my name is Chris, and I'm the, the pastor here. Again, it's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 1, and we're talking about gratitude and gratefulness and how that leads to joy in our life. Uh, we had our first message a couple weeks ago, and I uh, suggested, maybe a bit much, uh, that you might want to grab one of these in the foyer. There's a few left if you haven't had a chance to check out the, the gratitude journal that we have produced for you uh, to kind of enter into this journey. Uh, I don't know if you've been doing it. As I was writing it, one of the things that struck me about it specifically is that it's very simple. You know, often when you do a devotional, there's a lot of information. There's some uh, thoughts to ponder. This is more meditative in or- orientation. Not in an Eastern way, but its goal is to get you thinking about things that you can thank the Lord for and what that looks like. And so it probably feels maybe light spiritually compared to other things. And I think that's because in our traditions, we tend to uh, value intellectual approaches to God. So thought-oriented approaches to God where we're engaging new ideas and we're reinforcing old ideas and we're expanding our thinking or our intellect about God. And the reality is that that's a good thing, but there's other approaches to drawing near to God. Not, not outside of Christ, but other ways in Christ that we can draw near to God. So for instance, uh, we just sang You all knew those songs already probably, and they didn't have new ideas in them, but that worship drew you into God's presence, expressed some spiritual realities between you and the Lord in your heart, and it impacts you and shapes you. In fact, the reality is that our theology often comes much more from our singing than our learning and studying. And so in the same way, over these three weeks, which is going to stretch into four because of last week, uh, we're talking about gratitude and what gratefulness does in our hearts, especially as it's gratefulness towards Jesus. And the the truth is that this is kind of part of how God created every human being. Gratefulness transforms every human and helps them to thrive. It's just that when we have Christ, we always have something to be grateful for. Uh, There's always a reason for thanksgiving and praise. Even when everything looks difficult, we know that it's not too difficult for the Lord. Uh, And so as we approach this and pursue this, I hope you've given yourself into this practice of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I hope that you've found connection and intimacy with Jesus through that. All right, so we're going to be in Philippians 1. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 20, specifically as they relate to gratefulness and how God works in our life through gratefulness. Uh, Before we get into that, let's pray for a moment, though. Father, we thank you for this time right now. Father, we want to devote our minds and our hearts, our spirits, to learning and understanding you and seeking after you. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us and lead us, that you would highlight your word, that you would use it to guide us and lead us to know you more. Father, beyond that, I pray for those in this room who are looking for you, who are hungering after you, who have a need in their heart, something that they want you to impact, a way that they're longing for you to touch their lives, to transform situations they're in. We pray, Father, that during this time, your spirit will be ministering to them, that they would find the answers that their heart, their mind, their soul is looking for, and that they would be satisfied in you and you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read Philippians uh, 1, verses 6 through 20, and then we'll get into the text a little bit. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and even dare or dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not always be, or not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Amen. So today, we're talking about pervasive and perpetual spiritual renewal and resilience pervasive and perpetual spiritual renewal and resilience. Now, spiritual renewal, that's kind of a nice concept. It's nice to get things renewed. Has anybody restored a classic car or an antique before? You've taken something from rust to royally awesome, right? And it's looking good, and it's a story of redemption and salvation. That's really good. We like new things overall, right? Our culture is really into new. But the truth is, is that sometimes Renewing and maintaining something is even more powerful. This is true of you spiritually. If you put your faith in Christ, then you were given a new life, and the process of transformation is a renewal in your life over and over again as you revisit the power of that new life, and specifically the person who gave you that new life, Jesus Christ. Additionally, resilience is an awesome thing. To be resilient means to be able to bounce back. Some of us remember when our bodies are resilient. Some of us still have resilient bodies. Have you ever seen a kid bounce off a wall or a floor, and then they get right back up and they get back to what they were doing? You're like, how are they doing that? If I did that, I'd be done for the day. Like if I lay out myself while running, I am not continuing to run. I'm hobbling home for ice packs and for the loving care of my wife, who I will probably complain to for a week about what happened to me, right? resilience is the ability to bounce back and we all need that in our lives because we don't just encounter physical trials and difficulty we encounter trials and difficulty that impact our whole being and the truth is when our mind is suffering when our whole self is suffering kind of that soul our mind and our heart our feelings together often we feel down all together we talked a couple weeks ago about how sometimes 
and when we're going through depression and difficulty, when we don't have gratefulness, we end up sick more often. And by the way, I'm not a medical doctor, and if you felt like I was diagnosing you as having ingratitude and that was the source of all of your problems, it's probably not, but I do know that gratefulness can help you get through your problems, right? And there were some statistics about how gratefulness impacts our health long-term, and that doesn't mean that you ended up with heart issues because you're bitter. Uh, but your bitterness is probably not helping your heart issues at the same time. So uh, we get that out of the way, I'm not a doctor. Uh, nonetheless, we can deal with psychosomatic illnesses because when we're dealing with trouble and trauma, it doesn't just impact our hidden self. Sometimes that hidden self hurt comes out in our physical self. And so we really need resilience. But there's a problem. We live in a cultural crisis of resilience. People are fatigued. People are overwhelmed by the difficulty that we face all the time. It feels like the media machine figured out how to press the fear button over and over again, and the world is just feeling like scrambled eggs, right? You brought the dozen home, but you dropped it on the floor, and it can't seem to get picked up. Have you ever done that before? Drop that dozen eggs. It's a big mess. It's hard to clean up. Uh, nonetheless, you still have to, and in so many ways, the world feels like that over and over again. I mean, think about how many bad things you heard this week. How many crises are happening? We now have two major crises in the world, right? We have one in Eastern Europe, and we have one in the Middle East. This is starting to feel like a very dangerous situation, isn't it? We've got some major conflict happening. This could cause us worry and fear and difficulty. We are hitting a wall. We need to be able to bounce back. Many of us have dealt with our own things. Some of our families are crumbling. Some people have had their careers transformed. Your health might have changed over the last few years. You need resilience. So what is it that causes some people, when the pressure's on, to get compressed, to start to fracture and break down, and some people, in the midst of that pressure, seem to thrive? They seem to move forward. There's a new vibrancy there. They have a strength that causes them to excel in that. Well, that issue is resilience. We all need resilience. Every human soul needs resilience. We live in a world that the Bible says is groaning under the weight of sin. In Ephesians 2, it says there are evil forces at work in the world systems to cause harm to human beings. There's forces that are trying to hurt you. Life is going to wear you down. You need resilience. Well, let's talk about resilience then. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says this, though a righteous person falls seven times, they will rise again. Amen. Isn't that a nice promise from the Lord? That's a good one. I feel like we all need that somewhere in our house right now with like some dumbbells in the picture or something like that, something that makes you strong in your soul. But the wicked will stumble into ruin. Man, so what's the key to resiliency according to this? Righteousness, righteousness. Now, there's a really powerful and positive promise here, right? The righteous, though they fall seven times, they will rise again. And so we tend to focus on two words in this, righteous and rise again. But we jump over the reality in the verse here. Person falls seven times. Okay, that's the backdrop of this verse. It's describing life. It's saying, look, everybody deals with difficulties. Everybody gets tripped up. Everybody falls down and gets bruised and banged up and deals with difficulty. Your path of difficulty is probably not the same as everybody else's, but you're also probably not the first person to have been on that path of difficulty. 
Now, if you know a little bit about the Bible, when you encounter the number seven, is it actually talking about seven times? Remember when Jesus, and uh, he's talking with his disciples about forgiveness, and Peter's like, Jesus, how many times do we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven times. And he's not trying to say seven times or 490 times, right? In our Western minds, we go to like this math place, and some of us, we have an abacus of forgiveness at home, right? Then we're like, they're on their last one. It's 498. One more, bam, Jesus gives me permission to write them off forever, right? It's not that way at all. This is talking about consistency. It's talking about constancy. It's talking about all the time. Though you fall all the time. Did you catch that? The biblical authors understood. The Holy Spirit understands that we deal with difficulty. Every day we deal with difficulty. Not only that, we are flawed. We are imperfect. We are not perfectly righteous, so we don't handle everything perfectly. So other people's problems are tripping us up, and then we get in our own way, right? So uh, I went through this season when I was an adolescent where I grew 14 inches between January and May. I know. I know. So I looked like a giraffe right after birth. I could not get out of my own way. I stumbled into walls. I broke my pinky toes both in one week, and then I kicked kicking things over and over again because my feet were getting too long, and I couldn't control them. And so I was gangly, and I was a mess, and I was, out. I was stumbling all the time. And I just remember feeling so frustrated. Why does this keep happening to me? Why can't I be coordinated? And then as an adult, I read this article about how teenagers, when they start growing, their muscular skeletal system expands more quickly than their neurological system. And so they really literally don't have the connections with their outer limbs to bring about coordination. And that happened to me in such an extreme way that I was a hot mess. Well, some of us, we live that way. Our spiritual system hasn't caught up with the growth of our life. Our neurological system hasn't caught up with the difficulties that we're dealing with. And if you've experienced hurt and trauma, you yourself, emotionally and intellectually, are walking probably in diminished capacity because this is what happens to us when we experience hurt. And so we fall often. And so what is the mark of righteousness in this verse? They get up again. They get up again. They keep on going. They get up again. What's ruin? Ruin is giving up. Ruin is quitting. Ruin is declaring that you're done. But the righteous, they get up and they keep on walking. They're not righteous because they're perfect. They're righteous because they trust in the Lord. And so they move forward. Well, where does that righteousness stem from? It stems from this grateful connection to God, where you recognize who He is and what He is able to do. And He cares for you, and He helps you. Has anybody ever done rock climbing before? Mountaineering in some way? When I was a teenager, I loved a chance to go climbing, but I lived in the Midwest where it's incredibly flat, so we had to erect these towers that you climbed. And when you climb a tower, at least every time I've done it, you are given a harness. And attached to that harness is this carabiner and this figure-eight piece of metal and this big chunk of rope. You know what that thing is? That's your safety line. That is your lifeline. That means that though you fall, you can do what? Get up again because it's going to save you and catch you. And man, I can tell you the first time you fall, 
It's terrifying. It's genuinely terrifying. Not only that, your mind is freaking out and your middle bits are getting squished together in ways that aren't very comfortable, which means everything in your body is kind of freaking out, right? Because you have physical sensations of fear and pain and you have the panic of, I'm going to die, right? And so then you get caught and you bash into the wall and you take a deep breath and you realize something's got a hold of me that's greater than me. This is what faith is like when you know God because he's got a hold of you and he's greater than you and when you know that, there's this level of gratefulness that settles in so that when you fall, you remember, oh yeah, God is with me. I don't have to fear. Oh yeah, God is with me. I am not alone. And so this gratitude sets in and that gratitude brings about this sense of perseverance and it produces perpetual resilience and renewal. And so the big concept today is this. Pervasive, spirit-directed gratefulness produces perpetual resilience and renewal. I want to just unpack that for a minute because sometimes we deceive ourselves. So occasionally, pastors, we deal with really messy situations, really messy situations. And you know what? That's okay because God transforms and heals really messy situations. But sometimes people in messy situations, they become deceived. And so we hear things like, my marriage was falling apart, but then praise God, he brought this new woman into my life. And so I'm leaving the old one because she's no good anymore. And I've found this new one and it's a gift from God. It's not how God works, right? Like wrong answer. He doesn't lead you to have an affair and a fantasy. He leads you to humbly heal your household and your marriage by starting personal renewal yourself. And so sometimes we get confused and we give thanks to God for something that's not good. I was running on low. I was running empty. But then I discovered cocaine. And I get so much now and I feel delightful. And it is a gift from the Lord. Eh. Wrong answer, right? But we have this problem where we start to give thanks for things that are actually hurtful to us. And that doesn't lead to renewal. That leads to ruin. That's not righteousness. That's brokenness being embraced and played out over and over again. So it's important that your gratefulness is spirit-directed. That it's actually gratefulness for good and great things that God is doing or has done in your life. This is why the psalmist says things like, true are your promises, O Lord. Your word is sweeter than honey. Your law is better than much gold, Lord, because in it I discover you, and by it your servant is saved from great ruin, right? And so we find the truth of God and we cling to that and the Spirit directs us to rejoice and give thanks in that. But it's not just that it's Spirit-directed. It's that it's pervasive. What does pervasive mean? Usually that sounds terrible. I I went to repair a wall in my house and inside I found pervasive rot. What does that mean? It's everywhere through the whole wall. I need a new wall, right? We went in to clean out the wound and we discovered the infection was pervasive. So we removed the leg, right? That's usually how we use the term pervasive. Pervasive means rampant. It means widespread. You need rampant gratitude in your life. You need it everywhere you go because you're going to fall down. And when you fall down, you say, ouch. And if in the midst of ouch, you can say, praise you, Jesus. 
that you've got me in my ouch. Praise you, Jesus, because you redeem my ouch. Thank you, God, that I don't have to fear that this ouch is forever, but that your holiness and goodness is going to come in and that I don't have to fear. Now, this is a transforming gratefulness, and it produces resilience and renewal that is ongoing. Has anybody had the pleasure of going to a third world country and interacting with brothers and I'm sorry, developing nation, that's so 1994 of me, developing nation and, and interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in what we would consider shabby estates? Have you noticed that joy is one of the greatest factors in their life? And that as you learn their language and you listen to the translator, what's happening is that behind that joy is gratefulness. It's not that their life is easier. It's that they've got a hold of something that we don't have a hold of. They're grateful for what the Lord is doing. You see, we live these massive lives of ease and comfort. And so when we find dis-ease and discomfort, you know what we do? No thanks, God. Mm-mm, Lord. I have to return this season to you. This is not what I ordered this fall. I ordered the premium package of Christianity where it's roses everywhere I go, where it's sunny all the time, and my soul always finds things to delight in. But you know what? That doesn't work because life isn't always delightful. Sometimes you're walking through the grass and you're enjoying the cool grass and the warm evening on your feet and you discover that somebody left a present for you between your big toes. You need gratefulness in those moments in life. Because the, the world is going to rain on your parade. And so you need this pervasive, spirit-directed gratefulness to bring you into resilience and renewal. So let's talk about how to develop this in our lives. Well, first of all, a Jesus-centered gratefulness is a transformed gratefulness. Jesus-centered gratefulness is a transformed gratefulness. Some of you all know 2 Corinthians 5.17 by heart, right? It says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, they've been what? Transformed. And it says, behold, the old has gone. And it says, the new, some translation says, has come. But the reality is, is that the verb that's used there is a form of a verb that means ongoing, continuous coming. It's talking about a spiritual renewal that the Lord has started in your life so that you have this newness and this newness can continue to take over inside of you. It's an ongoing metamorphosis, an ongoing transformation in your life. Now, this is good news because I remember the first season that I had as a Christian. Man, it was amazing. I just had so much gratefulness and love for the Lord because of the newness of my salvation, because of the reality of forgiveness that had set into my life, because of the Spirit's presence in me and the power and the gifts that He was giving me. It transformed my perspective on any, everything. But then, within like 24 months, life started to feel normal again. In fact, I remember my third Easter, I was a little bit depressed. I was walking into church and I was like, Lord, I'm not feeling you. Where did you go? This is like the celebration of the resurrection. This is the biggest day in all of history until this season of history closes. And I feel like it's Tuesday. You know, where's the specialness? What happened here, Lord? I wasn't done though, because God has what? New newness for me. And God has what for you? New newness for you. There's ongoing transformation. And you are going to be transformed over time. Now, typically, gratefulness looks like this. We get a nice thing. 
And we look at it and we're like, this is a pretty nice thing. I like this thing. And then we do what? I'm thankful for this thing. And then we take the thing and we use the thing. We think that's good. And then we're done with the thing and we put it down. And now we don't need the thing anymore. But now a new problem arises. And what do we need? We need a new thing. And so then what do we do when we find the new thing? We say, this is a nice thing. This serves the purpose that I need. And then we use the thing. That's good. Thank you for the thing, Lord. And then there's a new problem that comes. And then we find a thing. And we look at the thing. And we say, thank you for the thing. And then we use the thing. And then we say, thank you, Lord. And then we move on. But then eventually, you know what happens? The Lord leads us to a big enough thing that none of the previous things that we found to fix them work. And that is a gift. Because God wants to transform your gratefulness. Because the gratefulness isn't about this stuff. The gratefulness is towards the giver of the stuff. And when we start being grateful for the stuff, we diminish the power of the giver in our life. And we start to worship the stuff. This is the gratefulness of the world. And quite frankly, the Bible has a really nasty name for it. It's called idolatry. And it poisons the soul's of humans, whether they believe in Jesus or not. And so Jesus-centered gratefulness is a transformed gratefulness because it's not about the gifts. It's about the giver. It's not about the momentary satisfaction. It's about the permanent relationship with the one who saves your soul and is leading you and shepherding you through life. And so Jesus-centered gratefulness is a transformed gratefulness. And we move from just being grateful for the stuff to start being grateful for who God is in our lives and the sureness of what he's going to do. Does this mean that we stop saying, God, thanks for the stuff? No, but it's not just about the stuff, right? Because the stuff fades. I'm so thankful for my children at home. But you know, this really weird thing is happening. They're growing. One of them is turning into a teenager. Yuck! Teenagers, we love you, but parents, we struggle with you. We really do. And we go to bed sometimes and we're up till midnight because you're making decisions on your own and you're out in a car and we're freaking out inside and we should be celebrating because it's a beautiful thing because Jesus is launching you into life. But because we're broken people, we go, I liked it better when I changed your diaper than we had to talk about you paying your fair share of the insurance bill. That was an easier mess to clean up, right? And so... We are challenged with these things. Now, as a human, I could look to God and I could say, God, no thank you for my teenagers, right? But the reality is, is in Christ, I get to say, God, thank you for my teenagers. I'm not changing their diapers anymore. And they could go to the grocery store and they could get stuff. And they come home and they tell me awesome stories about what their friends did. And then some of it's wacky and weird. But I was a teenager too. And I'm not telling them those stories yet because they got nothing on me, right? Like we turn our reality and it's not teenagers, yuck. It's teenagers, yay. Because Jesus, you have got my kids and I don't have to worry and freak out, right? Like that's what Jesus-centered gratefulness does. It means that in the things that we humanly we mortally would say yuck we can remember that we have this divine god who cares for us in the midst of our yuck and we're not just putting good things into our cabinet we're recognizing that every good gift comes from the father of lights who delights in his children which is us and so jesus-centered gratefulness is a transformed gratefulness next 
we see that the first step is finding the foundation, the love of God. It's finding the foundation, the love of God. So when we looked at 1 Philippians, there's only one Philippians, so I guess that works. Philippians 1, Philippians 1, Paul prays for the Philippian church, go eat popcorn. I still have to use that every time. I've been in this book for a long time. Uh, but Philippians 1, Paul prays for the church, and he says this. He says, I pray, and I've got to find it, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. He says that the love is the thing that needs to grow for their transformation. The love of God needs to grow in them for their transformation. Now, I was thinking about this this morning in the shower. I hope you do some thinking in the shower. It's a good place uh, to think a lot. And so I was thinking in the shower, I was like, but Jesus is the foundation, right? Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that no one can lay another foundation except for Jesus, right? But the reality is that's the foundation for everlasting life. We're talking specifically about the foundation for gratitude. Now, can you have the love of God to the measure that you have it if you're not in Christ? No, meaning this, God loves the whole world, right? God loves the whole world, and he loved the world so much that he gave his son so that whoever believes in his son will not perish but have everlasting life. But they're not in Christ if they don't believe. If you're not in, if you do not believe in Jesus, you are not in Christ. You are in the world, and you are of the world. And while God loves you, you're not living experientially in the love of God, and that's where God wants you to be. That's one of the things that Jesus does. And so this transformational work that Jesus does delivers you to this place of being defined by the perfect agape love of God. That it's like the biggest fact of your life. You wake up in the morning and you've got a new ache, but God loves you. You wake up in the morning and you have a heart appointment, but God loves you. You wake up in the morning and you feel great, but God loves you beyond that still. See, it's this backdrop to everything that happens in your life. And when you understand this, it transforms every situation that you are in. You remember when you were a little kid and dad or mom could do anything? If you had a problem, you would go in and you would say, Dad, my bike's broken. And then what would happen? Dad would fix your bike. And then eventually dad would show you how to fix your bike, right? And then next time you'd be like, dad, can I use your tools? And dad would say, yes, you can use my tools. And dad was there all the time to take care of it. And you know what happens when dad is there all the time to take care of kids? They feel incredibly secure and they thrive and they grow into beautiful human beings. But you take away secure parental love and what happens to children? They diminish and they grow into dysfunction, and there's difficulty, right? And so this love is the perfect backdrop for your development. It's the foundation of gratitude in your life. Now, Paul uses a special word for love here in this verse. Can you guess what the word is? Agape. Now, if you don't know Greek, it's spelled agape, which just means open, which is kind of cool because it's this open-ended, committed love with no strings attached from you, right? But there's an accent on the end, agape, right? And the emphasis is on the second syllable. Anyways, that's just Greek, but it doesn't have to be Greek to you because this agape love is a perfect, unconditional love that is sourced in the nature of God, not in your personal performance. God's love for you is sourced in who he is and how he's decided to act towards you 
and identify you and even feel towards you sometimes so that he always looks at you personally through a lens of love. Now this is really good news because it's a faithful love that he will never let go of you once he puts it on you. And so it's God's love. It's not just any love. It's the agape love of God. Now, Paul prays that they would know that love, but not just that they would know it, but that love would abound in them. So this love is the foundation, but you need to build on the foundation. Have you ever had a crazy neighbor that just put the foundation down and then the toilets and the sinks and the shower and then no walls? And you're like walking out and you're like, hey, Fred, whoa, what are you doing today, Fred? I didn't expect to see that. What was wrong with Fred's house? He never built it. He never really built on the foundation. He put the fixtures of life in there, but he never got built up to the place where he had walls and security and strength. So the foundation is the start, and you need the start, but you need to build on that foundation as well. Now, the cool thing is that God's house is a house of stones. It's a holy temple. So building on the foundation looks like finding the foundation again over and over again as he builds you up in his love. And so you need to, wait a minute, we need to go back because I'm getting ahead of myself. We can't go there yet, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the thing that you need to do is you need to recognize that this journey of gratefulness is a journey of increasing agape love. This journey of gratefulness is a journey of increasing agape love. Thank you, Lord, for the water I need. Paul prays that agape love would increase in the Philippians over and over again, that it would abound. <coughs> Pardon me. God puts his love in your heart, it says in Romans 5.5. 5. It says that through the Holy Spirit, God puts his agape in your heart, but that agape needs to grow. It's just a seedling. It's just a start, but it can grow to be pervasive in your life. It can grow to be the defining force of how you move, how you operate it. It can be the energizing force. The motivation of your actions can become agape love. And so Paul is saying this agape love needs to increase. And guess how it's going to increase? It's going to increase by prayer. It's going to increase by the presence of God and him working it out in your lives over and over again. Paul doesn't say, and you better get to work producing more agape love. No, he says, and I pray that God would increase the agape love within you. You know, it's okay to pray for yourself. It's good to pray for yourself. I've had believers say things to me like, I hate asking for prayer for myself. I'm like, are you kidding me? I love when you ask for prayer for yourself. I pray for myself a lot, not because I'm self-centered, because I don't want to be self-centered. And if I don't want to be self-centered, then God needs to do a righteous work in my life and increase his agape love within me. And so I pray things like, Lord, would you increase my understanding of your love? This is from Ephesians, right? Would you increase my understanding of your love? Because I can't grasp without your power the fullness of your love, the volume of it, the height, the width, and the depth of it. Because I need to know that your love is the pervasive force in my life that it's moving me, that it's defining me, and that it's with me in everything that I face. And here for the Philippian church, Paul prays that the love would increase, not just that they would know it, but that it would increase in size in their life. So you can ask God, God, will you increase my agape love? Will you increase it? And then will you direct it? <coughs> 
almost over the coal, would you direct it so that it becomes knowledge, so that it becomes discernment about how to see the world and how to live in the world. And so it's a journey of increasing agape love. And that's a work that God has to do in you. And so you need to ask the Lord for it. Maybe you need to ask your small group to pray that God would increase this in you. And then you need to respond when the love starts to be poured out. Next, we need to recognize that it starts where we are. This journey starts where you are. It's so vital for us to know this because sometimes when we're talking about something like gratefulness or love or this joyful expression, the reality is, is that a good chunk of people in the room are not in a place where they can start with gratefulness, where they can start with a joyful expression, where they're in a place where we can rejoice. You know, I, I've been in seasons of hardship before and lovingly brothers and sisters in Christ have been, come up to me and they said, have you thanked God for your trial yet? And I thought, no, but I could punch you in the nose. But God's increased his love, so I'm not gonna, right? Because I'm not ready to thank God for this right now. Because I need to pour out my heart still. Because it hurts too much to say, thank you, Lord. And so I need to pour it out, and then I can say, thank you, Lord, for listening. Thank you, God, that even though I'm, not, I'm neurotic right now, you're not. Thank you, God, that I feel out of control, and you are always in control, right? And so it starts where we are. And if we're in a place where we can't say thanks yet, it's okay to start in a place where we have to say, God, it hurts. And it hurts like this. And how could you let this happen? And why didn't you tell me this person was a scumbag? And how come the bank account is so mean to me? And how come the person at the bank doesn't understand me? And how come my teachers give me such bad assignments? And why did my parents take the keys away to the car? Don't they understand that I'm a teenager? And all of these things, right? Because we need to start where we are with this. And that means being real. But there's this amazing thing that happens when we live in God's love and we recognize that we can express everything to him, the moment we start expressing it with words, the moment we start putting words to our feelings and experiences, God starts to heal our brains. And God starts to build us to a place where we can begin to be grateful again. And as we take that moment of pouring out the difficulty of our lives before the Lord, and then we say, and thank you for being God, it transforms us even more. And it opens us up to the work of the Spirit. You know, it's amazing. The area in your brain that thankfulness comes from is also the area of your brain that lights up when you are relating to the Lord. I don't think that's accidental. I think that they go hand in hand. And so as you're relating to God, you're pouring out these difficulties to Him, and then you express this thanksgiving, you're opening up that part of you that connects with the Lord, and it's going to strengthen and increase your walk with Him. So if you're in a place where you just can't say, Lord, thank you for this present trial, it's okay. Because what He says in His Word is to be thankful in all things. In all things. Because He's there with you in the things that you're facing. And so it starts where you are. And this is why Paul can boldly say, and I know that he will complete the good work that he's started within you. Because he is faithful, right? Because he is faithful. And so we see in verse 6, he starts that, that God is going to carry on this work until its completion, even in the day of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you're all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and defense and confirmation of the gospel. For it is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ. So basically, he's saying this. We're going to grab the ends of the parentheses. I know that God is faithful 
and will complete the good work that he started in you. You know, it started right where you were, and it's going to continue right where you are now. And the reason why I can know this is because I love you with the affection of Jesus. So it's Jesus' love in me that tells me that I know that he will be faithful to you no matter what you're going through because I love you like Jesus loves you. And since I know that love, I know that he's not going to give up on you either no matter where you are. Next, you need to embrace the faithfulness factor. You need to embrace the faithfulness factor. If you've got your Bibles, quickly turn to Matthew 25. Verses 14 through 30. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Now this is called the parable of the talents. But I want you to notice this in regards to faithfulness. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey, and immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached and presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. This sounds like a description of a wrestler, right? So I was afraid and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master said to him, you evil and lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what was the key to the reward? What was the key to the reward? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is the, the emphasis here. The key to the reward of gratitude is faithfulness and gratitude. Remember how we talked about it's not moving from thing to thing to thing, but gratefulness to the giver of the gifts? Well, we want to remain in this place of being grateful. That means there's going to be times where you don't want to be grateful. You're tired. That means there's times where you're going to be hurried and you're not going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his house with praise. You're just going to rush in and you're just going to say, holy cow, Lord, you wouldn't believe what happened. I need you right away. It's okay to do that sometimes, but when that becomes your habit, you know what happens? Your faith and your joy is going to decrease because you're not entering with thanksgiving, because that place in your life where faith grows in your brain is not being activated, 
You need to pursue him with thanksgiving. You need to pursue him with gratefulness. So you need to embrace the faithfulness factor. The faithfulness factor is this. Spiritual steadfastness compounds resilience, renewal, and transformation. Spiritual steadfastness, sticking with it, compounds resilience, renewal, and transformation. The more you do, the more you get. The more you're faithful, the more you receive. You know, my, my family, we, uh, we got one of these garden plots out here in these hay bales, and we got some stuff from it. And I was asking my wife about it, like, how'd it go? And she said, well, it went okay. But honestly, we, we've got like zucchinis rotting out there, and our plants are overgrown. And then somebody else didn't take care of theirs, so their plants overgrew ours, and they're in the shadows. And then I went out there the other day, and it's like mid-October, and there's this guy. I don't know this guy. But he has like this structure that he's built because he's been faithful to his garden. And he's like tied up his plants so they're in the sun. And he's been here all the time because I see his car here more than I'm here. And he's watered. And I saw him out there the other day. You know what he was doing? He was harvesting from his garden still because he was faithful. Did he plant better stuff than we planted? Maybe, but probably not. You know the difference was? He was faithful. Sometimes when we're walking through difficult seasons, we're suffering not because it's exceptionally difficult, but because we have been unfaithful. And so we don't have the strength that we could have if we faithfully walked in gratitude. Because we didn't live in transformed gratitude, we lived in worldly gratitude. And so we're always focused on the gifts and not the giver. And then when the gifts disappear, so does the gratefulness. And so does the resiliency. And so does the renewal. And we deal with difficulty then. So you need to embrace the faithfulness factor. Next, you need to transform your perspectives and conversations. You need to transform your perspectives and conversations. So flip back to Philippians 1. If you forgot to leave your thumb there like I did. We could blame the cold, but I'm just forgetful. All right, Philippians 1. Now Paul moves into this part of the conversation that's difficult. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now what has happened to Paul? Paul has been arrested and Paul is being held in prison. And if you know anything about Paul's imprisonment after he left Philippi and then Ephesus and went down to Jerusalem and was arrested, it was not short. In fact, Festus, the guy who was holding Paul prisoner at first, held Paul for years because he was hoping for a bribe. Now, what was Paul's mission in life? Plant churches. How great was it to be stuck in prison? Was that like a vacation for Paul? Was Paul like, man, it's so nice in here. It's always predictable. I'm never heckled by a crowd. I haven't been whipped or boiled in oil in months. This is the best. It's terrible. It was terrible. He couldn't do the work that God was calling him to do. That had to be difficult for his soul. But is his conversation about that? I have got to tell you that this jerkwad who's holding me prisoner is completely ridiculous and probably led by demons. He doesn't complain. He doesn't argue. He doesn't give up any of those sorts of things from inside because there's something else in him. His perspective has been transformed and therefore the way he talks about it has been changed. God has got me in prison. He's got a purpose for this. I don't have to fear, worry, or doubt because he's going to use my imprisonment for his glory. He's got a transformed perspective and so his conversation is different. Now did Paul's, uh, Paul's perspective get changed in prison here? 
No. Because in Philippi, remember when he was in prison? And he was in the deepest recesses of the prison with his friend Barnabas. And him and Barney, they were down there in prison with the stinky, gross, rude prisoners around them. And you know what they were doing? They were complaining. No, they were praising the Lord and they were building each other up because of the faithfulness of God. And was that the first time that happened to Paul? No, because when Paul got saved, Paul's perspective changed. And he realized that the God he was trying to kill was more faithful and more loving than he ever understood. And so God changed his perspective. God literally opened his eyes and Paul's worldview changed. Have you let the goodness of Jesus change your life? I mean, you might have everlasting life, but do you realize that that everlasting life starts now? And that God is working in your life now? And nothing that you go through is abandoned by God. He's with you in everything. I'm not saying He causes all your difficulty, but He's okay with you and the difficulty that you're facing. And your biggest problems are not big problems for Him. And that he is capable and that he wants to use the places where you feel imprisoned. He wants to use the places that you're weak to do awesome things for your good and his glory. This is an important and foundational thing for Christians to embrace and understand. And I know that it's challenging, but when we embrace that, our perspectives change and we can start to heal and move through them because God can lead us away from the hurt and help us to find greater healing and meaning than the difficult things we face and then our conversations change, just like Paul did. Paul says this, this has actually advanced the gospel. The next verse, he says that everybody here in the imperial guard and everybody else around us knows that my imprisonment is because I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm a good person, and they could tell that. They know that it's Jesus that's doing this, and they're thinking about Jesus as a result of this. And then he says this, most of the brothers and sisters in Christ, they've gained more confidence from my imprisonment and they speak even more boldly. And then he says this, now some people, they're trying to share the gospel so that when it uh, is my chance to defend the gospel, it's already gone to the people who are going to hear it and, and they're poisoned against me, but don't worry about it because Jesus is being shared and the gospel is going forward and God's going to use that. And then Paul says this, and you know what? Even if I die here it's my salvation because then i'm no longer trapped in this mortal body and instead i'll be in the presence of the lord and everything that i've dealt with in life will be gone and it will be only goodness forever so he says even if the worst thing happens right and many often often we think of when bad things happen it's terrible and at least i'm not dead at least you're not dead do you know that death is just a doorway? That the sting of death is gone, brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know that your death is going to be the most glorious day of your whole life? I'm being serious here. This is a big deal. We don't fear death. We walk through death with courage. Because what's on the other side of death? More life and better life and better life and better life and better life. And so we don't walk in fear. We walk in gratefulness. And we walk in hope. And so you're transforming your perspectives and your conversations. I'm about to die, family, but I got to tell you, I'm not worried about me. I am praying for you all because I want God's goodness for you. And I know that I won't be here praying for you. And I won't be here for you to call on. Man, but I got to tell you, I've gained so much strength from my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just wish you were connected to your church family like I am. What can I do to help you grow in your faith, right? 
We live a different message with different conversations and different perspectives. Now, don't fear. Don't fear. It's going to be okay. God's got you right. And so we change how we talk about it. Next, God's going to lead you to observe and appreciate goodness, beauty, opportunity, and possibility. So the first step is to observe. You know, when we were buying a new car once, we paid for a few used car inspections, and I would take the car up to this shop, this mechanic that I really appreciated, super honest, and sometimes he'd just look at the car and be like, don't. I'm like, what do you mean don't? And he's like, well, you see the body, how the fender is like two degrees off over here, and that paint doesn't really match over there, and this guy's told you that there's no accidents, right? But I can tell you, there's been a major accident on the front end, and that's not the original fender. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I couldn't see that all day long. I would never notice that that fender was askew, and I wouldn't have observed that the blue was slightly different than the blue on the door panel. It's just not in me because I can't observe it. The same thing happens in our lives. The things that we focus on, the things that we observe, the things that we're looking for, we become really good at finding them, which means that if you are an expert at complaining, and I love you, but some of you that's your biggest strength, right? <laughs> like you're really good at complaining and you're, you're funny and you're charming while you do it, but you know what? You're still complaining. It means that you are really good at finding what's not right, what's not good. And I've been there before and I thought it was a strength. I gotta tell you, it's not a strength. It's not very good for you at all. Learn to be good at seeing what's good. Learn to become good at seeing things that are beautiful. Learn to become good at seeing things that have good opportunities from the Lord in it. Learn to become good at seeing possibility in people's lives. That's called hope. That's called hope when we live into the possibilities that we have in the Lord. But we have to learn to observe these things, which means sometimes we have to learn to take our eyes off of the things that are not beautiful. But you know what? Praise the Lord because you live in a place that is filled with beauty. What can you do on the beach at the end of every day almost? You can see the sunset. What can you feel when the sun's not shining? Beautiful, cool rain. What can you listen to on your roof, whether it's metal or asphalt? That lovely sound. What can you hear if you're quiet and feel if you're close enough? The surf right there, right? We can experience God's power. When you look at the world around us, you just go, wow, God, it's beautiful. Man, Lord, the world you made is wonderful. Then you start to expand that to dangerous things like your spouse. Some of us just need to learn to be grateful for our spouse again. Lord, we made a promise 42 years ago, and some days I think I'm crazy, but I am so grateful today for my husband or my wife. And man, that face is wrinklier than it used to be, but those eyes, they are still the same eyes that I fell in love with. And some of us, we need to look down at the ring finger and say, Lord, there's never been a thing on there, and I don't have that terrible, ugly tan line. Thank you for my singleness. Thank you that I'm free to serve you and follow you wherever you lead. Thank you that you've made me complete in Christ that I don't have to fear or be lonely because you've been with me every step of the way. Some of us need to learn to see that there's goodness and beauty in everything that we face, the difficult things and the wonderful things, and often those things are the same way. And then opportunity and possibility. You know, it's, it's really strange, but if you are not a grateful person, this hardness creeps into your mind and your brain actually gets old do you know that some people's brains are older than their bodies? And that some people's brains are younger than their bodies? And you know the difference between those two? Gratefulness. Because gratefulness has led to the youthfulness of possibility and opportunity. 
Do you remember what it was like to graduate high school? If you haven't yet, it's going to be a glorious day, by the way, because you're going to walk out of those doors for the last time, and you're going to feel the freest you've ever been. That day prison will never hold you again, right? Whether you loved it or not, right? And I liked school, but there were days where I was like, I just want to be out of this place. And when I walked out of those doors, I was like, I can do anything I want. I could join the military. I could run away to Mexico. I could go to college. I could learn to drive a forklift. I could learn to drive a race car. I can be anything and go anywhere that I want to do because I am 18 and educated. And there's nothing that will hold me back, right? You feel that inside. You remember that feeling, right? You remember that. That's a young brain. Everything falling apart. Young people are like, it's going to be fine. You're over 40 and you're like, you are crazy. You're a hot mess, right? It's because they have possibility and opportunity everywhere. This is the fruit of a grateful mind. And so pray opportunity and possibility into your difficulties and your life. Look for the opportunities and the possibilities God has given you. You are retired. It does not mean God is tired of you. You feel old, but your faith can be new. You can feel done and God can just be getting started. Because you can feel done at any age, right? People who are grateful observe and they appreciate. They treasure and they watch grow goodness and beauty and opportunity and possibility. So I'd encourage you practice looking at these things every day. Ask yourself at the end of the day, what did I see today that was beautiful? What happened today that was good? What goodness can I remember from my past and thank the Lord for? Where is it that I feel like there's death and closure that I need to look for new possibilities or renewed possibilities there? God, what opportunities are you opening for me? Because these things will expand your faith and increase your joy. And then finally, when you're doing these things consistently, you're going to reap the reward, which is the generative power of gratefulness. Where we talked about the faithfulness factor, when you're faithful, you reap the reward. And that outpouring of love it's going to abound more and more. And it's going to expand into a greater knowledge of how God works in your life and a greater discernment of what he's up to and what he's going to do. And it's going to generate in you the fruit of newness of life. Pervasive, spirit-directed gratefulness produces perpetual resilience and renewal. It's a mouthful, but it's true. Do you want resilience? Do you want renewal? Me too. So pursue gratefulness, spirit-directed gratefulness towards God and what he's doing in your life. So let me ask you this, where are you right now on this? We talked about it starts where you are. Well, let's really assess that. Where are you in this? Are you here today and, and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus? You don't have that foundation in place where you know the love of God fully in your life. And today is the day that you can put your faith in Christ. Today is the day that you can recognize, God, you loved me before I knew you existed. You made a plan for me before I was even born. You sent Jesus to save me. And I recognize that he went to the cross, that he died for my sins, and he rose again. And just as he promised, everyone who believes has a relationship with you in everlasting life. You can do that today. You can put your faith in Jesus. It just looks like a cognitive work, a thinking work, acknowledging, recognizing, receiving the gift that God has for you. Sometimes that looks like praying. In fact, I would encourage it for you to look like praying. And in a minute, we're going to pray. And I would encourage you to just have a moment where you talk to the Lord genuinely. Lord, I believe. Thank you for saving me.
That's all that it takes. Are you in a place where you're ready to be grateful? Where you're looking around at your life and you're like, man, I've been grumpy and concerned for a while, but honestly, everything's really good and I don't have anything to fear. Well, praise the Lord and be grateful. But maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, it's been had. And I'm feeling like a toothpaste tube that's been squeezed too much. You've been there in life before? Where you get to the top and then you split your head back so just a little more comes out? Yeah, that's not a good place to be spiritually or physically. But you know what? God is the king of over-squeezed toothpaste tube people. He can work in your life still. So maybe you need to say, Lord, I feel pressed out and empty. I feel old and cracked up, and I need your help. And so thank you that today I can ask you for help. And thank you that you can refill me with your goodness and love. Thank you that today the Holy Spirit can renew me, and you can ask the Lord to do that. Are you in a place where you just need to apply this faithfully? Where you've been doing it, but every once in a while you do it? Thanksgiving coming up and you can't wait and you're like man it's November I'm gonna be thankful for a whole month and then in December you're just gonna think of what you need to buy do and give maybe it's the faithfulness place that you need to grow maybe you've got it all together and you need to give the rest of us lessons on how to generate love in our lives more and more if that's you come see me I want to hang out with you genuinely because God wants to do a work and lead you to lead other people and so maybe you need to thank God for that opportunity because he uses the mature to raise up the immature So let's take a moment, just silently sit before the Lord as the worship team comes up and think, where does God have me? And then I'm going to close us after that moment in prayer. Lord, I thank you that right now, You are working in the life of each person who's hearing my voice. Right now, your spirit is working in our minds and hearts to lead us to know where we're at. Father, I want to pray with and for the folks who are hearing this, who, who need to put their faith in Jesus. They know that they're here, that there's a reason that they're here. They know that there's an encounter that they're having, Father. I pray that you would just give them that nudge, that you would lead them to that place where they could just say, I believe, and I want to know you more. And Father, I thank you for that moment when they do, because in that moment, you transform. In that moment, you claim and you enter into their lives, and in that moment, you commit to them in a way that's way greater than they can understand. I pray, Father, that you would bless their new faith, that you would strengthen them, that you would lead them to faithfully seek after you, whether it's in this church or another church family, so that they can grow to know you and love you in the way that you know them and love them. Father, I want to pray in this moment for those who are hearing this and are just hurting, tired, worn out, broken, spent, burned up. Father, thank you that you bring rivers of life to dry beds. Thank you that you bring new life to people who are burned out forests. Thank you, God, that you refill those who are empty and you renew those who are feeling old and worn. Father, we pray that you would enter these lives with new strength, with new life, with new vigor. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to touch and to heal and to draw forward. And if today it looks like just expressing the difficulty to you and thanking you that you know, I pray that they would know the power of your presence in that. And Father, I have a feeling there's a lot of us who are in the camp 
of just needing to grow in faithfulness to say thank you for being you, Lord. Thanking you for being in our lives every day. Faithfully pouring out our praise to you. Recognizing that you give every good gift in our lives. Giving up worry and fear and doubt and holding on to your faithfulness to us. So Father, help us to be faithful. Lord, we have faith, but help us where our faith is lacking. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you more. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would be nudging us and leading us and giving us words of thanksgiving. Help us, God, to grow in our gratefulness. And Father, for those of us in here, they just pour out gratefulness. There's this ever-present joy. They could name 30 things that are good and beautiful right now. Thank you for them, Father. But you've made them this way. You've drawn them into maturity. You've raised up great love in them, not just for their own good, but for the good of others. Help them to see the opportunities to serve and to lead and to make the immature mature, to share this path of knowing you and being filled with your love and your joy, leading brothers and sisters to have endurance and resilience and renewal in Christ. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in our church family. Thank you that in this time, you're going to continue to work. And I pray, God, that in this last song, that each of us would see you and know you in a greater way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.